Welcome to another thrilling episode on Book TV. But before we dive in, let's talk about enhancing your reading experience with novel nutrition. As you lose yourself in today's story, imagine supporting your journey with our unique supplements, specially crafted for readers like you. Whether it's boosting focus with Epic, unwinding with Read, or energizing with Zip Strips, Novel Nutrition is here to complement each chapter of your literary adventure. Visit novelnutrition.co or click the link in the show notes, and don't forget to use code BOOKTV for an exclusive 20% discount. Now, let's immerse ourselves in the magic of today's story. The Fatal Creation, a psychological thriller. Written by Julie Bergman. Audiobook produced by Book TV. Prologue. Killing was the only thing he thought about anymore. It put his mind and soul at peace while everything around him seemed chaotic. It was cold out, and he thought about going home to his nice warm cabin. He didn't want to be here, but he knew he had to be. If he didn't take care of her, she would just hurt others, and he would never find closure. And after all, she deserved it. He just wanted his world to be quiet again. The anger was eating him from the inside. Control, deep breaths, counting. And there she was. He had been watching her for weeks now. She was so beautiful. It was frigid out during October in Spokane, Washington, and the cold wind played with her hair as she stood on the sidewalk. She didn't look like the other girls on Sprague Avenue. She seemed almost innocent and somehow serene. Her large, dark almond eyes looked over at his truck for a moment, begging him to save her from this life. He knew she would welcome death when it came. His heart began to race, thinking she could see him, but that wasn't possible. He was tucked back in the shadows, inside the darkened cab of his truck. It was safe to watch for now. Abigail had been working on Sprague for a couple of years. She had followed her boyfriend here a few years ago, and then he took off leaving her to fend for herself. The business was good, and she had several regulars, which made it easier in this line of work. However, she knew her profession was a high-risk career. Lately, she had felt a little uneasy because the same dark pickup truck had been coming around for the past few weeks. The driver never approached the girls. He just sat back and watched them. It gave her the creeps. She had learned early on that you had to trust your instincts and always watch your back. This was the most dangerous job she could have chosen, but she no longer knew how to change her circumstances. She had tried to take on some odd jobs and even went back to school once, but she couldn't make enough money. She was saving up all her money to move away from this frigid place and go somewhere warm. Most people told Abigail she was beautiful, but she felt average though she couldn't argue that she was one of the best earners on the streets. She had beautiful, long, raven hair that fell down her back. She had full lips that made her look pouty and a little sad, which seemed to turn on her clients. She was about to turn 28, but looked like she couldn't be any older than 20. She was petite, with a tiny waist and small breasts. She dressed more like an innocent schoolgirl with cardigan sweaters and leggings. Her clients wanted to save her and give her a better life. She had a couple of older men that would give her extra money, clothes, and gifts to help keep her off the streets. She would just put it all in her nest egg, waiting for the opportunity to get away from this place and live a fully clothed, normal life during the daytime instead of this awful existence. Maybe, just maybe, she could fall in love and start a family one day. 
This night shift business was wearing on her. She felt tired most of the time, and her body ached from standing in the cold. She hated what she did for a living, letting men paw at her body for money. Some men weren't bad and treated her nicely, but others were rough and smelled terrible. One man was so heavy he'd almost crushed her the night before. He had to have been over 300 pounds and was sweating profusely the entire time. She thought he would have a heart attack, but he didn't. He got off quickly and her business was done. She was happy that he'd paid well and she could take a shower. She was lost in thought when she finally noticed the blue pickup truck that had been sitting there, watching them for weeks, slowly creeping toward her. She raised her guard, ready to flee if there was something wrong with the person inside. The nice thing about dressing like a schoolgirl was that she didn't wear those ridiculously high heels like the other girls, which let her run faster. She was looking for her best exit plan when the truck stopped in front of her. For some reason, her internal alarms were freaking out. Her heart felt like it was about to jump out of her chest. She told herself to calm down and to stop being so paranoid. When he finally stopped in front of her and rolled down his window, she was surprised to see a clean-cut man sitting behind the wheel. This explained a lot. It was illegal for anyone to solicit a prostitute in Washington State, but that didn't stop most people. It wasn't something that was heavily enforced anyway. As long as the girls got their regular checkups at the clinic and didn't give the local police a hard time, they were usually left alone. On occasion, she would provide sexual favors to some of the men on the force, keeping them at bay for a while. The other girls did the same. It was part of the price of doing business. The man in front of her was quite handsome. He was a bit older, probably mid to late 40s. It was hard to tell these days. This one seemed to be in great shape, but she sensed he was older than he looked. Hi, handsome. Would you like to have some fun tonight? Abigail asked. Yes, he said, looking down at his hands. He appeared ashamed of what he was about to ask for. That was common in Abigail's line of work, but she had no idea what he had in mind for her. How much for the entire night with you? He asked in a husky voice. Abigail smiled. This was going to be easy money. I won't take less than 500. It was higher than her standard rate, but she figured he was good for it. The man smiled back at her. That's more than reasonable to spend time with a beautiful lady. She mentally kicked herself. She should have asked for more. Most guys said they wanted her for the entire night, but they usually fell asleep once she got them off, and she was out of there. She would just have one of her friends pick her up. She and her roommate had a system. Abigail would text her when she got to the place and then text her when she was done, safe, and headed home. So far, it had been a pretty good system and seemed to work well. Even if her friend was working, she had backups. There was an Uber driver she knew who had a crush on her and would pick her up anytime, anywhere, without asking questions. He always said she reminded him of his sister, and he wanted to help her. She climbed into the man's truck. Ah! He smelled good and was nicely dressed in dark jeans and a button-down shirt. This might be a pleasant job. She settled herself into the comfortable, worn seats. Would you mind going back to my place? He asked in a low voice. She looked a little surprised. I have a small hunting cabin about 45 minutes out of town. It's private, and we can enjoy our evening without interruption. She hesitated. The hairs on the back of her neck stood up again. What was her problem? This was a good-looking, well-dressed man, not the typical scum that would try and pick her up. 
He wasn't going to hurt her. He just wanted to have a good time in private where he wouldn't get into trouble, and no one would interrupt. He was probably married and worried his wife might see him. He sensed her hesitation. I can pay you extra, he said, raising his left eyebrow and giving her his most disarming smile. She guessed this guy was a little higher up on the food chain, and it would be bad for him to be caught with her, especially since he probably thought she was half his age. Not quite, but he was definitely a bit older than her. We can do that if you want, sugar, but it'll cost you an additional 200, she said, smiling sweetly. That won't be a problem, he said without hesitation. She settled into the seat, starting small talk. He didn't want to talk about himself. He wanted to know where she was from, how she'd ended up on the streets and all the usual things. She seemed to bring that out in men. They always wanted to find out how they could save her. She pulled in more money than most women she worked with and was just waiting for the right time to get out. She owed her handler time at this point and could not get out of his grip until she paid him off. If she slipped away without finishing the agreed-upon time, he wouldn't come after her. He would take it out on her roommate or someone else she cared about. That was not an option. She rattled off the usual story about how she had only been on the streets for a few months, and she was just trying to earn enough money to get home to her parents in Indiana. He seemed to buy the story and told her to continue. My parents live on a farm out there, she said. I spent my whole life trying to get away from that small town, and now I'm spending all my time trying to get back. How did you end up on the streets? I followed the love of my life. He told me we were going to start a family together. He left me for someone else. That last part was true. That was precisely how she had ended up in Washington State. But she hadn't been fresh off the farm. She was from California and had been trying to make her start as an actress there. One wrong choice after another led her to this cold place, making money on her back. But the guys always liked the sob story of the innocent farm girl. The truth was, she didn't mind it very much. It was easy money and much better than working full time at a minimum wage job barely making enough to pay the rent. She's lying, he thought to himself. He knew where she was from, and that she was here trying to finish what she had started. Even though she's beautiful and charming, she's pure evil deep down in her soul. He hadn't seen it the first time he'd met her, but now he could tell that the devil lived in this woman. He had tried to kill her before, but she simply refused to die. It was hard to kill this demon, but just maybe. This time, he would be successful. Last time, she had outsmarted him, but this time would be different. She kept talking, but trailed off when she realized they were driving outside of town. Way outside of town. He took a turn onto a dirt road and kept going. True to his word, about 45 minutes into the drive, they stopped at a small cabin in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't anything in sight. She knew they were out by a lake, but that was about it. She checked her phone but had no signal. That concerned her because she wasn't exactly sure how she would get out of there. Once he shut off the truck, she could only hear the sounds of the forest. It was peaceful, but also frightening. No one would hear her if she cried for help. The thought made her visibly shiver. If he had seen it, he didn't say anything. He stopped and looked at her, and her breath caught because of the cold look in his gray eyes. But then his face softened, and he looked at her kindly. Let's get you inside. You look cold. Then he came around the truck to open her door like a true gentleman. She smiled to herself, thinking that you just didn't see that much anymore. 
He offered his hand and helped her out of the truck. He stood there staring at her for a moment, just drinking her in. He extended his arm, indicating she should go up to the cabin. Inside, things were much nicer than what the outside had suggested. Everything had a warm, rustic feel. The overstuffed, comfortable-looking furniture, an old wood-burning stove that he started a fire in while she looked around the cabin. She eventually sat down in one of the old leather recliners, trying to look sexy. But the chair was so big that she felt like she was being swallowed by it. He sat across from her and just stared for a while. So, honey, what's your guilty pleasure, she said, giving him her best smolder. Abigail always thought she was good at this part. Most men wanted to help or protect her due to her young, innocent look. He let her rattle on about what she was willing to do with him, which was quite a lot to his surprise. He was bewildered because she didn't know who he was. This had to be Sahar. They had spent so much time together in the past that he knew she should know him, but she seemed to have no clue. This made him angry. After all she had done to him, the least she could do was acknowledge him and apologize. Deep down, that was all he wanted from her. Finally, he stood up and she smiled. Okay, let's get started, she said. She looked up at him with her most innocent look, only to see the darkness creep back into his eyes. He seemed lost in thought and didn't really look at her but through her. She moved toward him and touched his chest. He froze and then slowly looked down at her with that same dark look in his eyes. His face contorted into something evil and black. Then he reached down and grabbed her by the neck in one swift move. She clawed at his arms with her fingers, trying to get him to let go. She gasped for air, her eyes bulging out of her head. No, not like this. Don't let me die. I'm not ready, she screamed. But nothing came out. She couldn't scream or make any noise at all. She felt a darkness around her eyes start to creep in. Her body began to welcome the looming unconsciousness because the reality of what was happening to her was too terrible to process. She passed out, dangling from the man's grasp like a rag doll. He stood there staring at her face as it turned strange shades of purple. And then he dropped her. She fell to the floor. Sweet air came rushing back into her lungs as she sputtered and coughed, trying to catch her breath. She finally began to regain her bearings when something hard hit her across the back of the head. White light exploded behind her eyes, and her head swam. Nausea gripped her body as her eyes rolled back into her head. It felt like her head was going to explode. She lay very still, trying not to throw up and play dead. She tried to think of how to escape, but came up with nothing. The pain in her head was blinding. She felt him pick her up off the ground and move her to the couch. He caressed her hair and put a blanket over her still body. Sahar, how could you do this to me? He whispered. Who the hell is Sahar? She thought and realized she didn't care as long as he let her go. She could play the part of Sahar. Maybe he wouldn't hurt her if he believed she was this woman. She slowly opened her eyes and submissively smiled at him. You know I missed you, she said, trying her best to be convincing. He looked at her and remembered the love he had felt for her. He ran his hands through her hair and caressed her cheek softly. Then her betrayal cut through his memory like a sharp knife. It caused him pain right behind his eyes. It physically hurt and blurred his vision. He felt his balance sway. He sat down beside her and took a few deep breaths. He had to get rid of the pain in his head. 
There was only one way. She had to die to make it quiet again. He leaned down and kissed her on the forehead. Don't worry, my love. I'll take care of everything, he said in a low voice. She thought she might have a chance. She just had to play along until there was an opening to escape. But then he gently wrapped his hands around her pretty neck and began to squeeze once more. She squirmed under his weight, spitting and kicking until she passed out. He looked down at her beautiful face with regret. He reached into his bag and grabbed his combat knife. He looked at it for a few moments, enjoying how it felt in his large hand. It was a beautiful seven-inch steel blade, curved at the top like the small of a woman's back. His finger played with the blade's handle, fantasizing about gliding it to the hilt. He found himself getting an erection just thinking about it. She had already taken off her sweater and was lying there unconscious in a dark blue silk blouse and leggings. Her skin was soft to the touch. The contrast of the bruises beginning to form around her neck enticed him. He pressed the knife under her dark blue shirt and cut it from the bottom to the neckline with a practiced motion. It was excruciating to wait, but the timing had to be just right. He stripped her black leggings off her, taking her tiny black thong panties with them. It was easier to slice the little piece of fabric that held the front of her lacy bra in place. He could tell she was beginning to regain consciousness. It would be time soon. He stood over her, slowly taking off his clothes. The excitement was almost more than he could handle. She would be his forever. He lowered himself on top of her, stuffing himself inside. To his enjoyment, she was wet. Her eyes shot open as he plunged the knife deep into her chest and abdomen. Her sticky, sweet blood smeared all over his chest. It was warm and metallic. Her eyes rolled back into her head, and he could feel the life leave her body as he shuddered in ecstasy. He smelled good and was nicely dressed in dark jeans and a button-down shirt. This might be a pleasant job. She settled herself into the comfortable worn seats. Would you mind going back to my place? he asked in a low voice. She looked a little surprised. I have a small hunting cabin about 45 minutes out of town. It's private, and we can enjoy our evening without interruption. She hesitated. The hairs on the back of her neck stood up again. What was her problem? This was a good-looking, well-dressed man, not the typical scum that would try and pick her up. He wasn't going to hurt her. He just wanted to have a good time in private where he wouldn't get into trouble, and no one would interrupt. He was probably married and worried his wife might see him. He sensed her hesitation. I can pay you extra, he said, raising his left eyebrow and giving her his most disarming smile. She guessed this guy was a little higher up on the food chain, and it would be bad for him to be caught with her, especially since he probably thought she was half his age. Not quite, but he was definitely a bit older than her. We can do that if you want, sugar, but it'll cost you an additional 200 she said, smiling sweetly. That won't be a problem, he said without hesitation. She settled into the seat, starting small talk. He didn't want to talk about himself. He wanted to know where she was from, how she'd ended up on the streets, and all the usual things. She seemed to bring that out in men. They always wanted to find out how they could save her. She pulled in more money than most women she worked with and was just waiting for the right time to get out. She owed her handler time at this point and could not get out of his grip until she paid him off. If she slipped away without finishing the agreed-upon time, he wouldn't come after her. He would take it out on her roommate or someone else she cared about. 
that was not an option. She rattled off the usual story about how she had only been on the streets for a few months, and she was just trying to earn enough money to get home to her parents in Indiana. He seemed to buy the story and told her to continue. My parents live on a farm out there, she said. I spent my whole life trying to get away from that small town, and now I'm spending all my time trying to get back. How did you end up on the streets? I followed the love of my life. He told me we were going to start a family together. He left me for someone else. That last part was true. That was precisely how she had ended up in Washington State, but she hadn't been fresh off the farm. She was from California and had been trying to make her start as an actress there. One wrong choice after another led her to this cold place, making money on her back. But the guys always liked the sob story of the innocent farm girl. The truth was, she didn't mind it very much. It was easy money, and much better than working full-time at a minimum wage job, barely making enough to pay the rent. She's lying, he thought to himself. He knew where she was from, and that she was here trying to finish what she had started. Even though she's beautiful and charming, she's pure evil deep down in her soul. He hadn't seen it the first time he'd met her, but now he could tell that the devil lived in this woman. He had tried to kill her before, but she simply refused to die. It was hard to kill this demon, but just maybe this time he would be successful. Last time she had outsmarted him, but this time would be different. She kept talking, but trailed off when she realized they were driving outside of town, way outside of town. He took a turn onto a dirt road and kept going. True to his word, about 45 minutes into the drive, they stopped at a small cabin in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't anything in sight. She knew they were out by a lake, but that was about it. She checked her phone, but had no signal. That concerned her because she wasn't exactly sure how she would get out of there. Once he shut off the truck, she could only hear the sounds of the forest. It was peaceful, but also frightening. No one would hear her if she cried for help. The thought made her visibly shiver. If he had seen it, he didn't say anything. He stopped and looked at her, and her breath caught because of the cold look in his gray eyes. But then his face softened, and he looked at her kindly. Let's get you inside. You look cold. Then he came around the truck to open her door like a true gentleman. She smiled to herself, thinking that you just didn't see that much anymore. He offered his hand and helped her out of the truck. He stood there staring at her for a moment, just drinking her in. He extended his arm, indicating she should go up to the cabin. Inside, things were much nicer than what the outside had suggested. Everything had a warm, rustic feel. The overstuffed, comfortable-looking furniture an old wood-burning stove that he started a fire in while she looked around the cabin. She eventually sat down in one of the old leather recliners, trying to look sexy, but the chair was so big that she felt like she was being swallowed by it. He sat across from her and just stared for a while. So, honey, what's your guilty pleasure? She said, giving him her best smolder. Abigail always thought she was good at this part. Most men wanted to help or protect her due to her young, innocent look. <laughs> he let her rattle on about what she was willing to do with him, which was quite a lot to his surprise. He was bewildered because she didn't know who he was. This had to be Sahar. They had spent so much time together in the past that he knew she should know him, but she seemed to have no clue. This made him angry. After all she had done to him, the least she could do was acknowledge him and apologize. Deep down, 
That was all he wanted from her. Finally, he stood up and she smiled. Okay, let's get started, she said. She looked up at him with her most innocent look, only to see the darkness creep back into his eyes. He seemed lost in thought and didn't really look at her, but through her. She moved toward him and touched his chest. He froze and then slowly looked down at her with that same dark look in his eyes. His face contorted into something evil and black. Then he reached down and grabbed her by the neck in one swift move. She clawed at his arms with her fingers, trying to get him to let go. She gasped for air, her eyes bulging out of her head. No, not like this. Don't let me die. I'm not ready, she screamed, but nothing came out. She couldn't scream or make any noise at all. She felt a darkness around her eyes start to creep in. Her body began to welcome the looming unconsciousness because the reality of what was happening to her was too terrible to process. She passed out, dangling from the man's grasp like a rag doll. He stood there staring at her face as it turned strange shades of purple. And then he dropped her. She fell to the floor. Sweet air came rushing back into her lungs as she sputtered and coughed, trying to catch her breath. She finally began to regain her bearings when something hard hit her across the back of the head. White light exploded behind her eyes, and her head swam. Nausea gripped her body as her eyes rolled back into her head. It felt like her head was going to explode. She lay very still, trying not to throw up and play dead. She tried to think of how to escape, but came up with nothing. The pain in her head was blinding. She felt him pick her up off the ground and move her to the couch. He caressed her hair and put a blanket over her still body. Sahar, how could you do this to me? He whispered. Who the hell is Sahar? She thought and realized she didn't care as long as he let her go. She could play the part of Sahar. Maybe he wouldn't hurt her if he believed she was this woman. She slowly opened her eyes and submissively smiled at him. You know I missed you, she said, trying her best to be convincing. He looked at her and remembered the love he had felt for her. He ran his hands through her hair and caressed her cheek softly. Then her betrayal cut through his memory like a sharp knife. It caused him pain right behind his eyes. It physically hurt and blurred his vision. He felt his balance sway. He sat down beside her and took a few deep breaths. He had to get rid of the pain in his head. There was only one way. She had to die to make it quiet again. He leaned down and kissed her on the forehead. Don't worry, my love. I'll take care of everything, he said in a low voice. She thought she might have a chance. She just had to play along until there was an opening to escape. But then he gently wrapped his hands around her pretty neck and began to squeeze once more. She squirmed under his weight, spitting and kicking until she passed out. He looked down at her beautiful face with regret. He reached into his bag and grabbed his combat knife. He looked at it for a few moments, enjoying how it felt in his large hand. It was a beautiful seven-inch steel blade, curved at the top like the small of a woman's back. His finger played with the blade's handle, fantasizing about gliding it to the hilt. He found himself getting an erection just thinking about it. She had already taken off her sweater and was lying there unconscious in a dark blue silk blouse and leggings. Her skin was soft to the touch. The contrast of the bruises beginning to form around her neck enticed him. He pressed the knife under her dark blue shirt and cut it from the bottom to the neckline with a practiced motion. It was excruciating to wait, 
but the timing had to be just right. He stripped her black leggings off her, taking her tiny black thong panties with them. It was easier to slice the little piece of fabric that held the front of her lacy bra in place. He could tell she was beginning to regain consciousness. It would be time soon. He stood over her, slowly taking off his clothes. The excitement was almost more than he could handle. She would be his forever. He lowered himself on top of her, stuffing himself inside. To his enjoyment, she was wet. Her eyes shot open as he plunged the knife deep into her chest and abdomen. Her sticky, sweet blood smeared all over his chest. It was warm and metallic. Her eyes rolled back into her head and he could feel the life leave her body as he shuddered in ecstasy. There's a secret once hidden, a treasure the ancients used daily. It's turmeric, the golden spice of life. In the heart of ancient India, this revered root was more than a culinary delight. It was a symbol of purity, a source of wellness. Novel Nutrition brings this secret to you with our fire supplement. Each fire gummy is a nod to those ancient traditions, harnessing the natural powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant benefits that have supported health and vitality for centuries. Nab your supply of Novel Nutrition's fire by clicking the link in the description and using code BOOKTV for a 20% discount. Read more. Live more. Be more. Chapter 1 Technical Sergeant Evelyn McGregor, though everyone called her Mac, rolled over, confused by the incessant noise invading her sleep. It simply had to be too early to get out of bed. She slowly opened one eye to see her room still engulfed in darkness. Yep, it couldn't possibly be time to get up yet. And then she remembered. She had set her alarm for this awful hour because her PT test was coming up in only two short months. She hit snooze on the alarm and lay there cursing herself for not staying up on her running throughout the year. Running was the bane of her existence. She hated it. The pounding and abuse it caused her body. It was the last thing she wanted to do. Overall, she was in good shape, but she preferred to exercise by hiking or playing outdoors. The last thing she wanted to do was get on a treadmill and feel like a hamster running in place for an hour or running around in circles on the indoor track. She finally rolled out of bed and grumpily padded to the bathroom to get in her PT gear. The base gym wasn't far, and if she got there soon, she could finish in time to have breakfast at the office before meeting with her first client. Hmm breakfast. Ooh, and coffee. Lots of coffee. But not until the workout is done. She got ready, thinking to herself that there was something she needed to remember to pick up today. Right, she was almost out of coffee. Coffee. Put coffee on the list, put coffee on the list, put coffee on the list, she kept repeating to herself as she got ready. She put her hair up in a ponytail and grabbed her running shoes. Coffee. What was it about coffee? Oh yeah, coffee sounds good. Hmm, what was I supposed to do again? She left the house without putting coffee on her grocery list. She hated working out in the morning, but knew if she didn't get it done first thing, it would never happen. She would get busy with her clients and never get a workout in, and then she would fail her PT test and receive disciplinary paperwork. If that happened, she could lose her career in the military. That was not acceptable. She was going to make it. She wasn't going to fail, even though her father said she wasn't cut out for military service. She wanted to prove him wrong.
She missed him every day. Mac was stationed at Fairchild Air Force Base in Washington, where it was cold most mornings. Often the base remained cold throughout the day, not just in the mornings. This morning it was freezing. There was a fine layer of frost on the ground, and the trees had a majestic crystallized look that reminded her of a pixie fairy movie she used to watch as a kid. She could see her frozen breath as she stepped outside and climbed into her little SUV. Everyone here had a four-wheel drive. It came with the territory. Few people were crazy enough to drive two-wheel in wintry conditions. She was only a short 20-minute drive to the base. She normally took the back roads, but not in the winter when they were covered in black ice. She had learned that the hard way when she had tipped her last truck on its side after spinning around on slick, unforgiving black ice. One moment she was singing along to the radio while sipping on her coffee. The next she was in a ditch. She had been fine, but her old truck was totaled. That had angered her at first because it was paid off, but such is life. Her new SUV was nice because it had remote start and heated seats. She felt like she was moving up in the world with her sweet little new ride. As she pulled in line to wait her turn to get on base, she thought about how quiet it had been at the office recently. She moved up in line, waiting her turn. When she arrived at the small guard shack, a security force member checked her ID and allowed her on base. The base itself was quite beautiful in the wintertime. It was covered in large trees that towered above her as she drove. They all had that beautiful, crystallized look she had only ever seen in Washington. The ice here was treacherous but very pretty. The buildings all looked similar. Some of them were older with a yellowing color, while others were newer brick buildings. She passed the Wing Headquarters building. It was a relatively new two-story brick building with lots of windows. She followed Bong Street around and made a few turns until she pulled into the gym parking lot, found a spot, and quickly walked inside so she wouldn't freeze to death. She always felt like a mess going to the gym in the morning. She had been told over the years that she was attractive, but she felt like a mix between Medusa and Droopy the dog. She could feel the bags under her eyes, and even though she had pinned her hair back, it always had a bunch of flyaways and looked crazy. Mornings were not her thing. If she had her way, everyone would start their days after 0900 hours. Oh well, I'm here, might as well get this over with. She distractedly acknowledged some of the other early morning gym goers and started her run. She always felt awkward when she ran. One of the other ladies ran by looking majestic like she was almost gliding. Mac became lost in thought as she ran. She wondered why it looked so easy for others. She was in good shape with a lean, athletic body, but had also been cursed with curvy Latino hips and a bigger butt, which made it difficult to bound along the ground. Overall, she liked how she was built and enjoyed working out, but she just didn't enjoy running. No one should have to bounce that much. She was breathing hard with sweat running down her face, barely able to keep going, when a lady she knew from the JAG came running up to her. Jody was a tall, slender black woman with large, round eyes. Mac always thought she looked a little surprised. We had a murder on base last night, Jody said, her eyes widening even bigger than before. Some guy killed his wife, can you believe it? Mac just stared at her, thinking she had heard wrong. Jody continued in a high-pitched voice. They found a dead woman in base housing, and the main suspect is, of course, her husband. He was found with his wife's body all covered in blood. They said the house looked like a massacre. Mac thanked Jody for the heads up 
and quickly walked toward the stairs. Well, that just ended my workout. She couldn't recall a murder case happening on base before, though admittedly she hadn't researched it. There certainly hadn't been one during her career. Murders rarely happened in the military and certainly not on base. Before she even made it to the shower, her phone beeped with a text from her boss. Come in ASAP. She rushed into the shower. Damn it, I forgot my shower shoes again. She quickly went about her business, trying not to slip on the nasty floor. She dried her shoulder-length hair and quickly put it up in a bun. She liked that she didn't have to worry about what she was wearing every day. As long as she wore the correct uniform for that day's activities, which was usually the same as everyone else, she was wearing the right thing. Outside of work, she was normally a jeans and t-shirt girl. She did like to dress up on occasion, but just as often found it uncomfortable. People would stare at her, and she could never be sure why. She usually figured she looked ridiculous or had a booger in her nose. She climbed back into her vehicle, thankful it was still warm inside since her hair was starting to freeze right to her head. When she arrived at her office, she found her boss talking on the phone. She dropped her stuff in one of the chairs and started booting up her computer. Government computers were slow, so while she waited, she headed to the little kitchen attached to their office for some coffee and breakfast. She never could remember to pack her food, and there was usually no time for lunch, so she just bought separate groceries for both the office and home. Mac worked at the Area Defense Council's office as a paralegal, and occasionally as a defense investigator, though she really enjoyed the rare occasions when her boss sent her out into the field to do investigative work. In the Air Force, everyone had to wear many hats. Her Air Force service code, 51J071, designated her as a paralegal, but she often held many different roles, defense investigator, court witness, and witness examiner, not to mention all the things she did for office administration like budgeting, scheduling her boss's travel, and making sure the office ran well. Her boss poked his head into the kitchen. Ah, coffee. We're going to need that today. His face already showed signs of stress, and it wasn't even 0900 yet. Quick pause in our story to remind you about novel nutrition. Enhance your reading sessions with our bespoke supplements. See if you can figure out which blend is our favorite. Oh, and just for book TV listeners, Use code BOOKTV at NovelNutrition.co for a special 20% discount. Now let's return to our story. Chapter 2 The ADC office was always busy. They jokingly referred to it as the pressure cooker. Captain Stanton was of average height with short-cropped blonde hair. He looked older than his years due to the pressure and stress of his job. The lines at the side of his eyes were starting to spread, and he constantly looked tired. His superiors were always having him travel from base to base defending airmen in court. His wife and two kids seemed okay with it, but Mac figured it had to be hard being a mother when your husband was always on the road. The nice thing about a murder case was that it would be a high priority, and he wouldn't be going anywhere for a while. Not that he would be home much, but at least he would be in the same state as his family. Sometimes his wife, Emma, and kids Adam and Franklin would stop by with dinner when he was working a late case, or the night before a court date, which always ran late. Emma was a kind woman with a huge heart who always brought enough food for Mac. She was a wonderful lady. Stanton knew he was a lucky man. Stanton walked up beside Mac and grabbed a cup of coffee and a muffin. 
So what do we have so far? Mac asked. Not much, I'm afraid. Last night, Senior Airman Terrell Johnson from the Security Forces Squadron was found next to his wife's body. He was covered in her blood and screaming. One of the neighbors called the cops when they heard his screams. They arrested him on the spot. They cleaned him up and put him in a holding cell on suicide watch. He's still there now, but won't talk to anyone, which is a good thing. We need to get over there as soon as possible. They took their coffee and breakfast with them to the SFS squadron. Mac thought about the first time she had met Johnson. They had worked together on a drug case once and done some sparring at the gym a few times. Mac had been trained at a young age to defend herself, and she liked to keep her skills sharp. When she first met Johnson, he had supplied her office with evidence and made sure she and her counsel had discovery on the drug case. He had come across as a kind and gentle guy, which was not often the case with the cops on base. They were usually a bit gruffer and sometimes a little edgy, but Johnson was friendly and accommodating. He had never given her any indication that he would do something like this. She had always felt she was good at reading people, but now she was questioning that ability. They walked in and found Johnson sitting in the holding cell in his boxers. When you're on suicide watch in the military, you're left with nothing you can use to hurt yourself. At least this cell was clean and didn't smell like the ones downtown. Sometimes their clients were held in the Spokane County Jail when they were in pretrial confinement. Mac figured there were worse places, but it was still nasty. Their guys were kept away from the general population, but county always smelled of urine, and grime seemed to be stuck to the gray walls and brown floor. Technical Sergeant Branson came over to greet them. Branson was the confinement non-commissioned officer. His job was to monitor and manage the confinement facility and ensure the right manning was assigned when they had an accused in custody. He was a tall, good-looking man with a bald head. He reminded Mac of Mr. Clean from those old commercials. Branson looked exhausted and worried, with a strained look on his face. Hey, Captain Stanton, Mac. It's good to see both of you. I'm glad you're here. Johnson used to be one of my troops. I can't imagine he did what he's accused of. He worshipped his wife. She was everything to him. He's in shock and won't talk to anyone. I have the interview room ready for you guys. If you want to take a seat, I'll get some clothes on him and bring him to you shortly. They thanked him and went into the interview room. The room was small with uncomfortable chairs. The chill in the room crept into Mac's uniform. She wondered why they always had to keep military confinement facilities so cold. But of course, most on-base facilities were either too cold or too warm. It seemed they could never quite get it right, always turning on the air conditioning in the winter or the heater in the summer. So what do you think? Stanton asked. Mac liked her boss. He always treated her kindly, like he was her partner rather than her boss. He always wanted to discuss cases with her and valued her insight and opinions. There had been a couple of cases that they had worked together where she had seen things in the evidence that he had not. Plus, their clients liked talking to her because she was easygoing, which sometimes allowed her to get more information than her boss could. Most enlisted were leery of talking to officers openly, because officers and enlisted weren't allowed to be friends or have relationships in the military world. Fraternization could get you in a lot of trouble. There was a rank structure for a reason. She was lost in thought when Stanton asked his question again. I don't know for sure, she said. My instincts tell me that Johnson is a good guy, but we've been doing this for a while and have seen people do all kinds of things that we never thought they would do. Plus, 
He was caught with his wife. I'm not saying that means he did it, but that looks very incriminating. I think we'll have to get more evidence on this one to come to any conclusions. I agree, Stanton said. We'll have to see what the evidence shows, but I also think we should do some digging of our own. It isn't every day we get the opportunity to defend an airman accused of murder. The closest I think we ever came to a case like this was that NCO who came back from Korea last year and lured his wife's lover into a motel room and stabbed him 32 times. Now that was an interesting case, and the guy confessed. But the civilians kept jurisdiction so we didn't get as involved as I would have liked. She smiled, thinking about how much Stanton enjoyed what he did. He was an excellent attorney, and he had one trait that most attorneys couldn't fake. People liked him the instant they met him. It came across in the courtroom when he interviewed witnesses and the accused. People simply wanted to like him. His charisma alone had gone far to help them win some complicated cases. Johnson was brought into the small room. His head was down, his curly hair matted. His eyes looked distant and tired, like he hadn't slept in days. Mac thought back to the times she had been around him in the past. He had been young and full of life with kind brown eyes. She had even thought him good-looking, though a little young for her, and of course, he was married, which in Mac's mind made him completely off-limits. She had girlfriends who liked chasing married men, but that wasn't her thing. The only thing she wanted was a solid relationship with a man she could be friends with and trust. Except she rarely trusted anyone. Most men just wanted to get into her pants, which had resulted in her current status, single. Johnson lifted his eyes and looked directly at her. She saw sorrow in his deep brown eyes. No hatred or deception, just loss and fear. He reminded her of the puppy she'd had when she was a young girl. She had an urge to hug him and tell him everything would be okay, but she couldn't. It would have been highly unprofessional. In general, the military frowned upon hugging fellow military members, and certainly not clients. Public displays of affection were discouraged and could get you in trouble if witnessed by the wrong person. Johnson slid into a chair. His large shoulders slumped. The chair creaked beneath his weight. He was a large black man. She guessed at least 220, with a young baby face looking much older than a 26-year-old should. Max suspected that one of Johnson's parents wasn't black because he had beautiful, light mocha skin that made him look like he had spent time on the beach. Captain Stanton greeted Johnson and asked, How are you holding up? Mac thought that was a silly question but it was just Stanton's way of starting a conversation. As good as can be expected, I guess, Johnson said. I know this is difficult, but could you tell us what happened from the beginning? Stanton said. Mac's job during these interviews was to take notes and ask questions at the end. It was the basic routine for interviewing people. Her boss would always start the questioning, and then she would complete the interview with her own follow-up questions. As the defense, they weren't trying to get anyone to confess. They were just trying to get the accused side of the story so they could start crafting a viable defense. This was one of her favorite parts. She enjoyed her job thoroughly, especially investigations, and wished she could simply do this for the rest of her career. Unfortunately, if she made rank, they would move her into a leadership position. That was not her thing. She loved the opportunity to take care of the underdog and help defend them against the big bad government. Stanton always told her she should go to law school and be a defense attorney, but she wasn't sure she could do what he did in the courtroom. She enjoyed the investigative part more. 
Finding the evidence necessary for her client to be set free, or in some cases, supporting the client while facing court and prison time, was what gave her fulfillment. These cases were demanding yet rewarding. Everyone turned their backs on the accused, but she got to stand by their side. You have complete confidentiality, Stanton said to Johnson, and nothing you say will go outside this office without your consent. Johnson nodded and signed the forms to accept Stanton as his defense counsel. Have you been read your Article 32 rights? Stanton asked. Article 32 rights were similar to Miranda rights in the civilian world. I, um, yes, they read me my rights when they took me from the scene. You have to believe me. I did not kill my wife. I loved Zonira with everything I had. We were talking about having a baby. She was going to get off birth control so we could start trying. She was my entire world. I would never hurt her. We believe you, Stanton said. But we have to be able to prove what happened. Please describe your day starting when you woke up yesterday. Johnson sighed. My day was normal, like any other day. I got up at 0700 hours to work out. It was my day off, but I have a PT test soon and wanted to get in shape since I had recently taken a month off. So I got in a great workout and then went to the coffee shop on base to pick up some coffee and breakfast for Zonira and me. Zonira had just gotten up when I got home. She was so beautiful standing there in one of my old t-shirts. Her hair was all a mess and she looked so sexy. He stared past them, remembering his last moments with his wife. I tossed aside the food and we made love right there on the kitchen table. I can't believe she's gone. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I can't imagine my life without her. He took a few more deep breaths before continuing. Zonira was going to go see her sister in Cor d'Alene. We've appreciated being stationed at Fairchild Air Force Base because that's allowed her to be closer to her sister. After we finished breakfast, she went to get ready. I kissed her goodbye and she left the house. That's the last time I saw her. I decided I would go out and do some fishing and hiking. It had been a while since I got out to enjoy nature. I thought it would be a good way to clear my head and get ready to get back to work since my R&R was about over. Zonira and I had agreed to meet up later that evening for dinner. I texted her to let her know I'd be running a little late, but she didn't respond. When I came back to base, I thought maybe I'd find her angry with me for losing track of time. He leaned back in the chair and stared absently at the ceiling. In my head, I was coming up with all kinds of apologies. When I walked into the house, I took off my muddy boots because I knew she would be mad if I tracked mud into the house. I walked into the kitchen, and there she was. A tear rolled down his cheek. At first, all I saw was her feet, and then I came around the island and... He gasped, the words catching in his throat. She was just lying there. I'm not sure what happened after that. The next thing I knew, I was being pulled off her and taken away. And then I was in a cell. There was so much blood. It was all over the place, all over the kitchen, all over the cabinets. It was everywhere. I've never seen so much blood. It was almost like someone had painted using my wife's insides. He dropped his head to the table his big shoulders rising and falling. Finally, he looked up again at them, his dark skin ashen. Stanton looked at Mac and nodded. Turning back, he said in a soft voice, Johnson, tell me about your deployment. Nothing really to tell. It was out of the blue. I wasn't supposed to deploy, but I magically got orders and prepared for deployment shortly after we got here. 
It went fine overall. It was my first time, and I didn't know what to expect. But I got there and did my job, then came home. During your time abroad, did your wife say anything to you that stood out? Anything strange in letters? Mac asked. Not really. She was so brave. She always told me not to worry and that she would be fine. She said some of the people from my shop sometimes stopped by to check on her. After that, she returned to school and kept busy, but nothing more. I need to ask, do you think there's any way she was having an affair while you were gone? No way. She wouldn't do that, Johnson said and looked away. Mac thought there might be more to that, but figured now wasn't the time. Stanton reassured Johnson that they would do everything they could for him. Mac knew they never promised certain outcomes to clients because there was no way to know how things would turn out. All they could guarantee was that they would do everything in their power to help their client, which was never a lie. They would turn over every stone to find the truth, whatever it was. Their job wasn't to free their client, but to make sure the justice system worked properly and ensure their client didn't get railroaded. Chapter 3 Stanton and Mac got up and let Technical Sergeant Branson know they were done. He came in to retrieve Johnson from his chair and said, Do you guys mind hanging out for a few? I'll be right back. They agreed. He took Johnson back to the holding cell and got him settled in. Mac and Stanton sat silently waiting for him. They knew better than to discuss their case in an open environment. Branson came back in and said, Our new shirt would really like to meet with you. Would you mind waiting for a little bit? He's almost done with his meeting. They agreed and were led to the shirt's office. While they waited, they looked around his office. Mac recognized the diamond on one of his plaques, signifying the first sergeant symbol. He had won the award for being the top enlisted advisor on base. He had an impressive wall decorated with going-away gifts, awards, and decorations. Apparently, he was a well-liked leader. Mac had heard about this guy. Someone had told her he was a huge beast of a man, somewhere around six foot seven, maybe six foot eight. If nothing else, she was curious about meeting him. A first sergeant could be a huge asset when defending a military member in her line of work. The shirt typically knew everything going on in his squadron and had a good idea of who they should interview, who were friends with who, and each member's reputation within the squadron. Though rumors weren't facts, there was typically some truth to them. Still, Mac wasn't hoping for much because this guy was brand new to the squadron. Many first sergeants moved from squadron to squadron around a base. They were usually reassigned to a different squadron every two years or so. She had never met this shirt because he had previously worked over on the survival, evasion, resistance, and escape side of the base. She knew they got into trouble over there, but they usually took care of their own. She had heard that many people feared this guy because of his size, but she knew that size didn't always mean everything. She was off in her own little world when Stanton let out a soft whistle. Damn, that guy is huge. Mac looked down the hall following Stanton's gaze, and there stood the biggest man she had ever seen. Holy shit, she muttered, her eyes wide. She was trying not to stare at him, but couldn't help but think, wow. The mammoth man finished his conversation and started walking toward his office. Mac's heart was racing, and she felt pissed at herself for not maintaining control but this man was gorgeous. There was no better word for him. She guessed he was Italian or Greek or descended from some other place that gods come from. He looked like someone who could grace the cover of a popular bodybuilding magazine with his lean, massive body. 
As he walked into the office, he had to duck slightly to clear the doorway. He stood there for just a moment, filling up the entire doorframe with his wide shoulders and strong chest. Stanton stood up and looked like he had somehow shrunk next to this man. He stretched out his hand. Hi, I'm Captain Stanton, and this is Mac. I mean, Sergeant McGregor. We're the defense counsel in the Johnson case. The big man shook Stanton's hand, then turned to Mac and shook her hand as well. His hands were so big that hers disappeared in his. She liked how big and intimidating he was. It made her somehow feel safer. He smiled down at them, making Mac feel like a little kid. His smile was warm and reached his eyes. Yes, he said in a deep baritone voice. Branson said you would be waiting for me. Thank you for your patience. I'm Master Sergeant Gavin Hudson. I just got to the squadron and am having a hell of a time so far. He smiled again, this time directly at Mac, and she felt a little weak in the knees. Damn it, where does this guy get off making me feel this way? Her fight or flight instincts started kicking in. Get away, get away, danger, danger, this one could really be trouble. She smiled back at him and saw a twinkle of mischief in his hazel eyes. Hudson came the rest of the way into the office. I wanted to meet with you because I feel there's more to this case than meets the eye. I have a buddy of mine downtown that gave a tip about a case they're looking into. Joe and I have known each other for a long time. He and I were talking preliminaries over a cold beer, and it turns out our victim on base looks almost identical to a missing persons case from downtown. Our on-base murder investigation is, of course, being led by OSI, because the accused is one of ours, and that's directly in their wheelhouse. I told them about the downtown case, but they dismissed it. They said that just because the two women look alike doesn't mean the cases are connected. Makes sense, Stanton said. I just have a feeling about this, Hudson said, and took his phone out of his pocket to show them two pictures. One was of Johnson's wife, and the other was of the missing woman downtown. The similarity was uncanny. Since OSI is investigating, I really can't stick my nose where it doesn't belong. My buddy's name is Joe Romero at the Spokane Police Department, Hudson said. He pulled one of his business cards out of his pocket and wrote Joe's information on it. Call me if you need anything. He handed the card to Mac and walked away. Mac watched him walk down the hall before realizing she was staring at his ass. Staring at other military members' asses, especially while in uniform, was frowned upon. But it was such a nice ass, attached to such an amazing body. Stanton came up next to her with a big, goofy grin on his face. He winked at her and said, I see you like the view. She nudged him back with a sheepish grin. Chapter four. Four and a half years ago in Afghanistan. The sergeant stood strong and confident in front of his airmen. They had been in the hot desert of Afghanistan for months. Exhaustion showed on everyone's faces and his most of all. The entire team was sitting on old crates in the dusty hangar, waiting to hear about the day's activities. The hot air felt made it feel like his uniform was melting on his body. The heat seared their lungs in the hangar, creating an oven-like atmosphere rather than providing shelter. The temperature outside had already climbed to over 90 degrees. It was nearly unbearable in July, especially when they were out in the field under the hot, unrelenting sun. They always packed tons of water and sunscreen, but it was never enough. Bagram Air Base had been their home for nearly half a year, 
they were all ready to go home. The 11 men and women that were part of his team had shown amazing strength and endurance during their deployment. He was as proud of them as a father would be of his own children. Listen up, we only have another couple of weeks in this shithole and then we get to go home. They all cheered. That's the good news. The bad news is we're going outside the wire today. We are scheduled to meet with Afghan Air Force officials at 10 hundred hours. They'll link us up with the same team we've been working with during our relaxing vacation here. They all laughed. Even though we know these people and we've been working with them, that doesn't mean we don't need to keep our guard up. Heads on a swivel, folks. We all know what can happen when people become complacent, right? They all nodded in acknowledgement. One of his airmen raised his hand like he was in class. He still had a baby face and looked up to his leadership the same way he imagined the young man regarded his parents. With wide eyes, the young airman smiled at his team leader. So, boss, will she be there today? A big grin spread across his young face, and the others started chuckling quietly. They knew their team leader had a crush on the woman who worked as a liaison for the Afghan Air Force, but they didn't know the half of it. They had been working to build up the Afghan Air Force and help the people of this country protect themselves. It had been a long and frustrating process. The female liaison they had been working with during their deployment was something else. Women in Afghanistan were not treated well, and it had taken a long time to gain her trust. In this country, it was even frowned upon to use a woman's name in public. Afghan law stated that only men's names were to be used in public. The sergeant had been shocked to learn that after an Afghan woman gave birth, her name was left off the birth certificate. They only showed the name of the father. The same went for when a woman married or died. Her name did not appear on the wedding invitation or the death certificate. Women in Afghanistan had been beaten for revealing their names to strangers, especially male strangers that weren't part of their family. He had fit into that category. He had been introduced to Sahar shortly after he arrived in the country. It had been a long time since he had deployed, but he was looking forward to the adventure. Once he had been processed and settled, he and his leadership met with the chief of staff of the Afghan Air Force. The man had been short and wide with a weathered face, but he was an imposing man that someone wouldn't want to mess with despite his stature. The general's eyes were hardened from years of service and suffering in his country, but there was also kindness. Leadership had told him the general was a good man who wanted the best for his country. Standing by the general's side was the most beautiful woman the sergeant had ever seen. She stood proud next to her father. Her head was wrapped in a stunning yellow shema, the traditional scarf worn by women in her country. He could not see most of her face, but her eyes were breathtaking. There was something about this woman that mesmerized him. She had dark, deep brown almond eyes. The sergeant thought he saw wisdom there and maybe a hint of mischief. He couldn't stop staring at her. Even when he was introduced to the general, he continued looking at the beautiful woman. She wasn't introduced by name. She was simply referred to as his eldest daughter. This was customary in Afghanistan. She was there because she spoke fluent English and was therefore useful. He was thrilled when they told him he would be working with her as his conduit between the United States Air Force and the Afghan Air Force. After their initial meeting, he had blown off the encounter, thinking he just wanted to be near a beautiful woman after what had happened with his wife. Eight months earlier, he had come home from base one afternoon much earlier than expected. 
He had wanted to surprise his wife because it was their 15th anniversary. He had stopped for flowers and bought her a stunning diamond necklace that was a bit more than they could afford. He had snuck into the house wanting to surprise her. Then he had walked into their bedroom to find his wife being serviced by a young man half his age, and his heart broke into a million pieces. He loved his wife and thought of her as his best friend. He had thought everything was good between them, but apparently not. His military service had him working late hours, and he had been TDY quite a bit lately, which took him away from home. She had been complaining about being alone all the time, but he figured she knew what she was getting into when she married a military man. Apparently, she was lonelier than he had thought. He had heard about spouses that took a lover when their husband was out in the field or away from home, but he had never thought that would happen with his wife. Now the divorce papers were filed, and they were waiting the customary 90 days for the divorce to be complete. It had all been put on hold with this deployment since he was out of the country. When he returned, he would be a divorcee. That concept seemed so foreign to him since he had always loved being married. They hadn't had kids, which he guessed was now a good thing, but he had always wanted a big family. But life doesn't always work out the way people want it to. Chapter 5 when he met up with Sahar the second time, she took his breath away all over again. For this meeting, it was just the two of them. She smelled amazing. When they met in private, she let her scarf fall from her face to reveal full red lips and high cheekbones. He felt like a commoner next to her. She was statuesque and stunning. Her velvety voice mesmerized him. He thought he would get used to her as time passed, but it only got worse. He had fallen for her hard. He knew it was against his regulations and forbidden for her. But nevertheless, they started to meet in private more regularly. The first time he kissed her, he melted into her body. Her lips tasted sweet and soft. He felt warm and safe in her embrace. They had been sneaking around at night, seeing each other for months like two teenage kids. He simply couldn't get enough of her. Not just physically. He enjoyed speaking with her and hearing her views on the world. She was highly intelligent. He liked everything about her. He worried that he was falling for her because he was on the rebound, but still, it felt right. One evening when they met, she was distant and sad. She wouldn't say why, but he knew something was seriously wrong. She told him she wouldn't be able to see him for a while, something about her being sent to a school. It didn't sound true to his ears, but he figured it was her way of letting him down gently. She left him a gift and told him not to open it until the end of the next day. He was afraid to open it, thinking it was a goodbye letter or something to remember her by. He would never forget her. He put the gift in his tactical bag, knowing that at least he would see her the next day. Even though the others would be there, and he wouldn't be able to be near her, at least she would be there. He and his team loaded up in the convoy and headed outside the wire. Overall, the times they had been outside had been relatively uneventful. As they drove, the feeling of sadness weighed on him as he thought about Sahar's departure. He knew it wasn't something that would last forever. They were from different worlds, but that didn't make the hole in his chest feel any less real. He knew his crew was looking forward to going home, but not him. Being alone in an empty house all the time sounded like torture to him. He wasn't good at being alone. He knew he would probably get used to it, but not any time soon. 
They arrived at their location. It wasn't a place they had been to before. Their convoy pulled into a dusty lot. They were out in the open like sitting ducks, waiting to be shot at. The sergeant had a bad feeling about this. Most of the time, he felt like an overprotective father. But in this case, the little hairs on the back of his head were standing on end. His gut was telling him to clear out, and he always listened to his gut. It had served him very well over the years. He headed to the back of the Humvee to grab his gear when the entire back of the vehicle blew apart. It threw his body back with such force he couldn't breathe, and his lungs felt like they had caught fire. His head slammed into something hard and unforgiving. Chapter six. He woke up with bright lights shining in his eyes and a sterile, sickly smell in his nose. He wasn't sure where he was at first. Every fiber of his being hurt. His head was pounding and he couldn't see clearly out of one eye. He tried to remember what had happened and simply couldn't. He closed his eyes again and tried to take a deep breath, but a sharp pain pierced through his ribcage. What the hell? He said out loud. Then Nurse Bonnie heard him from the hallway and popped her head in. She was a short, heavy-set woman with brown curls framing her full face. She smiled at him with kindness in her eyes. Well, hello. We weren't sure you were going to wake up anytime soon. You had us worried. Where am I? He asked. Oh, you don't worry about a thing, hun. You're in the hospital. We'll take good care of you. How bad is it? What happened to my team? Are they okay? She shifted her weight from one foot to the other and looked at the floor. I'll go get the doctor for you. He can explain everything. She smiled at him and quickly walked away. His head hurt so badly. He felt angry and disoriented. A little while later, the doctor came to check on him. Nice to see you awake. How are you feeling? The tall doctor in a lab coat peered at the machines attached to his body. I've been better, the sergeant replied and tried to smile, but couldn't quite make it happen. Dr. Sandoz peered at him through round, wire-rimmed glasses. His bushy eyebrows furrowed as he studied the man. The doctor looked more concerned than the sergeant would have liked. So what's the damage, Doc? Dr. Sandoz took a step back and took a deep breath. For starters, you were blown up. You have multiple contusions, three broken ribs, and significant trauma to your head. We were able to reduce the swelling in your brain, but we're not sure about the long-term damage. It's possible that you could suffer from long-term issues. Only time will tell. Chapter 7 Fairchild Air Force Base, Present Day Leaving her office, Mac shot Stanton a quick text to let him know she was heading over to the Spokane Police Station to meet with Romero. Her boss was with the prosecuting attorney, Captain Daniels, at the legal office to discuss the discovery and the evidence. He'd asked Mac to contact Romero and see if she could get an interview with him. Surprisingly, Romero had picked up on the first ring and said that he was available right then. It was a short drive to his office in the middle of downtown Spokane. Mac cleared security and left her mace and taser at the front counter with the intake officer. She was escorted back to a cubicle where a good-looking man sat. Romero had bags under his eyes and looked worn down, but he was still attractive, or at least she thought so. What is this, hot man Monday? Everywhere she went, she kept running into good-looking men. Or maybe it was just that she had been alone for so long and her libido was on overdrive. He wore worn-out jeans, cowboy boots, and a nice-looking button-down. 
She shook her head to clear her thoughts and plastered a smile on her face while making a mental note to go on a date with someone soon. Mac walked up to his desk and asked if he was Romero. He stood up with a big smile on his face. Ah, oh, you must be Mac. Most people call me Joe. Hudson said you would be stopping by to see me, but he never mentioned you were pretty or a lady. She gave him a sideways glance. I apologize, ma'am. I tend to be a little forward. She grinned at him. She liked him already. My real name is Evelyn, but everybody calls me Mac because my last name is McGregor. Joe smiled. You don't much look like a McGregor. It's my dad's name, my mom's Latino, she said, smiling at his straightforward manner. I see why Hudson didn't elaborate. He and I go way back. She wasn't sure what Joe meant by that, but figured she could ask Hudson later. His slight southern drawl made him sound like a southern gentleman. She thought it added to his charm. So about the missing persons case you mentioned to Hudson, Mac said. My client is the accused, and I want to see if there's any connection between the murder and disappearance of your victim. Joe walked over to the cabinet and retrieved a plain blue folder. He sat back down and showed everything he had to Mac, which wasn't much. Again, she saw an amazing likeness between the two victims. So what suspects do you have so far? Mac asked. Not much, I'm afraid. She went missing in October. She's a prostitute, which is a very high-risk career, as I'm sure you know. She got picked up on a Friday night by a guy in a dark-colored pickup truck. No one saw the guy, of course, just the truck. The person in question picked up Abigail, our missing person, and no one has seen her since. What about your case? Any similarities? Mac thought about what they knew. It wasn't a whole lot. All we know is we found our suspect next to his wife's body covered in her blood. But that could be explained away. He says he found her that way, so we're not sure if he's guilty. They batted information back and forth for a little while, figuring out the best approach. Joe adjusted his reading glasses. Without any real suspects, my case is probably going to stay cold for a while. Mac agreed that they needed to do some more searching. She still wasn't convinced the two cases were connected though the women's similar appearances were uncanny. She had a feeling that there was much more to the story than what was right in front of them. She thanked Joe for his time and headed back to base. She was determined to find the truth. Chapter 8 She pulled into the parking lot of her building and was surprised to see a dark-colored sedan with a distinct Security Forces Commander insignia on it. She walked into her office wondering what the commander wanted. It was probably about the case, him figuring out how to proceed with Johnson. Normally, they worked through the prosecution, but leadership worked with the defense as well every now and again. She welcomed the leadership's involvement. If her office could get them on the accused's side, there was a much better chance of acquittal. She walked in to find the security forces chief and the commander talking with Captain Stanton. They were all joking and laughing about something to do with sports, which Mac had no interest in. They all turned to greet her. Hey, Mac, how are you doing? It's been a while, Chief said with a warm smile. She knew Chief from her time stationed at Holloman Air Force Base. He had been her mentor and had really helped her career a great deal. She had worked with him as a security forces augmentee, where a member of a different career field would fill in during security details. He had seen her potential and skill set with hand-to-hand -hand combat and had taken an interest in helping her career. Hi, Chief, it's nice to see you, she said with a smile. 
Warm thoughts about how he had taken her under his wing and helped her professionally, mentoring her through some emotional times filled her mind. She liked him a great deal and considered him a big brother. He had made a huge deal out of the fact that she was an expert marksman at the firing range. He even publicly recognized her for her professionalism and hard work. This was when she had still been working prosecution. He had given her a hard time when she moved to defense, or the dark side, as he called it. When Chief had been ordered to Fairchild, she was thrilled, but she hadn't seen much of him since his arrival. The life of a chief could be a very busy one, she guessed. Stanton cocked his head to the side slightly. Mac, Johnson's leadership, is here to make sure he's taken care of. The commander cleared his throat. This is an open and shut case. He pointedly looked at Mac. There's no sense in digging into this one any further since the evidence is crystal clear. I'm recommending Johnson get a psyche eval and remain in pretrial confinement so he won't hurt anyone else. Mac just looked at him with her mouth slightly open. She couldn't believe the commander had already assumed he was guilty. Mac has some serious doubts about Johnson's guilt or innocence. In fact, their little visit today was making her question the facts even more. The commander was a short, wide man who reminded her of a fireplug with a receding hairline, but he had piercing blue eyes that most people simply didn't argue with. He had a reputation for someone who always got what he wanted. He shifted his weight to one foot and pinned Mac with a stern look. We want to get this taken care of and put this whole thing behind us as quickly as possible. Mac understood that to mean he wanted to brush it under the rug so his squadron wouldn't look bad. She was sure that Johnson would disagree. Chief walked up and put his hand on her shoulder. Mac, he said, we've known each other for years. If there were any doubt in my mind that Johnson was innocent, I would investigate every detail. If we find anything, we'll let you know. But all evidence points to him. Unfortunately, sometimes people just lose it. That is what happened in this case. Johnson came back and maybe found out his wife was having an affair. He was angry with his wife and ended up killing her. Mac couldn't believe her ears. All she heard were theories that had no significant backing. They were speculating about the motive, and they were ready to condemn through prejudice. They certainly didn't want her office looking at the evidence. And Captain Stanton made eye contact with her but didn't say a word. They'd been working together long enough that he could tell what she was thinking. He gave her a pointed look, silently warning her not to say anything. The commander and the chief had quite a bit of influence on the base. Even though they were only at the squadron level, they could still wield influence. The Area Defense Council's office reported to AFLOE, the Air Force Legal Operations Agency, outside the base's chain of command. But that didn't mean the commander or chief couldn't influence things to hurt the captain's or Mac's career. She knew Chief wouldn't do anything to hurt her, but she wasn't as sure about the commander. That pissed Mac off. In what world did they think they could just come in and tell them how to defend their clients or how to do their job? It was way outside the scope of their authority. The reason their office reported to command off installation was specifically to avoid situations like these. But here they were, telling them not to investigate the case, not to look into things. Clearly, there was something that the SFS leadership didn't want them to know. When they finally left, she looked at Stanton. What the hell was that? Captain Stanton smiled. He liked her feisty nature and the fact that she always wanted to defend the underdog. Okay, Mac, let's look at this logically. 
Why are they so hell-bent on ensuring our client goes down for the murder of his wife without fully investigating? She shrugged her shoulders. The only thing I can think of, Stanton said, is that they're either getting pressure from higher-ups to make it all go away, or it's the bad press. Think about it. Security forces are charged with protecting and defending the base, and one of their own is charged with murder. That looks bad. No, more than bad. It could completely destroy their reputation. How do you want to handle this? Mac asked. They discussed the case a little further and went over the information she had found out from Joe downtown. There had been nothing profound, just that dark-colored pickup truck picking up the missing woman, and Johnson didn't own a pickup truck. The two cases were most likely unrelated. Still, it still nagged at Mac how alike the two women looked. Their hair, the shape of their face, their dark almond-shaped eyes were all the same. They could easily have been sisters. Clearly there's more to this case than what we're seeing. OSI is investigating. Let's see what they come up with. And in the meantime, we'll do some quiet digging. We have to tread carefully, he said, running his hand over the little bit of hair he had. Let's not forget that our boss at AF Loe is friends with the SFS commander. That means he may be able to influence this case. Mac thought about that. She knew that rank had its privileges. If colonels and chiefs were involved, sometimes the rules got bent and innocent airmen could get hurt in the crossfire. Chapter 9 Hudson walked into the gym. He hoped he could get some sparring in after a long day. He walked into the sparring room and stopped cold. There stood the petite sergeant he had met earlier that day. What was her name again? She was facing off with a guy at least two to three times her size and doing quite well. She was using defensive tactics, leverage to compensate for her lack of strength and her small size, to her advantage. The larger man seemed slower and kept missing her. She was quick and landed a right hook directly across his chin. He shook it off but looked surprised. She swung her leg around and caught him directly in the midsection, knocking the breath out of him. A guy walked up next to Hudson and whistled. Wow, that woman has a lot of fury built up in that tight little body. She's sexy as hell, but kind of frightening. A grin crept across Hudson's face. So is she seeing anyone? Not a chance, buddy. You might as well give that one up. We've all been trying ever since she showed up, and she won't give anyone the time of day. She just comes to the gym, kicks a little ass, and then leaves. At first we thought she was into women, but nope. A couple of them have tried too. Apparently that one is simply off limits. Fun to fantasize about, though. Hudson gave the guy a pointed stare until he walked away. Hudson went to the punching bag to start warming up. He was lost in thought when he heard a loud smack. He looked over to see the big man that woman had been sparring with laid out flat on his back. She stood over him, hands raised, bouncing up and down in a crazy victory dance. She reached down and offered her hand. The size difference between her and her sparring partner was almost comical. He wondered if the big guy had let her win, but somehow he didn't think so. He watched her help her opponent up off the mat. The big man shook her hand and walked away. Hudson knew it was twisted, but the fact that she could possibly kick his ass really turned him on. Mac was stretching and getting ready to leave when she looked up to see Agent Vivian Ross. Mac smiled, knowing that Agent Ross would know exactly what was going on in the Johnson case. Hi, Viv, 
Max said, coming up to greet her. Don't even start with me, Mac, Vivian responded by way of greeting. She was a tall, good-looking, no-nonsense blonde woman who was always about business. In her world, you had to be. People were always trying to get information from her about cases. Mac had only seen her let her hair down once during a girl's night out. It had been quite something to watch. Ever since then, they had been friends, even though they were on two different sides of the fence. It was clearly OSI's job to find evidence to support the prosecution of a case. Every once in a while, though, it turned out that the evidence they found also helped the defense counsel. They were supposed to be unbiased and simply look for the truth of what really happened. But as everyone knew, politics and the good old boys club muddied the waters. Viv worked in a predominantly male career field. She had to deal with the constant alpha male. Mac had met most of them. Some of them rose to the level of narcissistic personalities. There was definitely a great deal of testosterone in both their worlds. Mac looked at each case, knowing that there were always three sides. What he said, what she said, and what really happened. Come on, Viv. We get to see the evidence when you're done anyway, Mac argued. Viv's forehead wrinkled, and she gave Mac an annoyed look. You know perfectly well that I can't share details about an ongoing investigation, even with you. I know, I know, Mac said. Just do me a favor and really look closely at this one. Something fishy is going on. Johnson's leadership basically threatened us today and told me specifically not to look into the case any further. Yeah, they probably just want this to go away because of all the bad press. Vivian rolled her eyes. She hated all the political crap that came with her job. Maybe. Max said, but I think there's more. I think someone in that squadron is trying to hide something. I have a feeling in my gut. You and your gut need to leave the investigation to OSI. We know what we're doing. Don't go sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. Mac raised an eyebrow. Okay, I give, Viv said. We'll dig into the case and leave no stone unturned. I promise. She turned and walked away without saying goodbye. As Viv drove home that night, she thought about what Mac had said. It didn't make sense, well, not entirely, that Johnson's leadership didn't want his defense looking into his case. That was one of the key factors to a good defense counsel. They were the ones who had to make sure the accused saw a fair trial and that all the facts were heard, not just the ones the government wanted the jury to hear about. Agent Ross took her job very seriously. She saw things from a very black and white viewpoint. Her soon-to-be ex-husband had filed for divorce because he said she was married to her job and wouldn't rest, even for him until she had all the facts in the case. All the... Chapter 10 Viv pulled into the driveway of the little cottage she would soon receive in the divorce settlement. It was a great place to unwind, which she often needed to do. So many people had told her that she needed to relax and not be so intense. She dropped her gear by the front door then went to shower, change, and grab a glass of good wine. She sat out on the back porch listening to the little stream that ran through the back of her property. It made a gurgling sound as it rushed by with ice creeping along the edges. The frozen forest surrounding her felt calming. She walked over to the back door to turn on the space heater and liked how the old boards creaked under her feet. She loved it out here, but in the middle of March, it was freezing. She sat back down on the swing and wrapped her blanket tightly around her cold body and put her toes next to the heater to stay warm. 
transfixed by the water running beneath her open deck. Vivian thought about the case and all the unanswered questions. Many things about this case didn't make sense to her. It didn't make sense why Johnson would kill his wife. The couple of times she had seen them together, there was no doubt he loved her. But things weren't always what they seemed. This job had certainly shown her what people were capable of. She had even been a little jealous of the couple. All her own relationships always fell apart. She now found herself embedded in a messy divorce. She would never discount what people were capable of, but there was always a reason for their actions. Sometimes when people were deployed, they came home different. It was an unfortunate part of military life and would be an easy explanation for Johnson's behavior, but she still needed to figure out the why. She was lost in thought when she felt his hand on the back of her head. She hadn't even heard him come in. Normally, the old creaky wood on the back porch would have tipped her off, but he was stealthy despite being such a large man. She assumed it was because of all his combat training over the years. Sometimes he would sneak up on her and she wouldn't even know he was there until he was standing right next to her. At first, that had unnerved her, but now she had grown accustomed to it. They'd only been seeing each other for a couple of months, but everything was going well so far. Not, okay, so there were a few things that weren't going well, but she really liked him overall, and he seemed to have a strange hold over her. She couldn't seem to say no to him. She was strong in every other aspect of her life except when it came to him. One major downfall was that she couldn't share the relationship with anyone because he was so much higher ranking than her. Now more than ever, they couldn't be open about it because of the Johnson case. She would never want anybody to think that she would skew the evidence one way or another, simply because she was having a relationship with this specific someone. It just wasn't the way she did things. She smiled up at him. How was your day? He asked. She cocked her head to the side. Pretty good overall. I saw Mac at the gym today. She thought she saw a flash of anger pass across his eyes, but figured maybe it was just the shadows on the back porch. Oh, really, he said. Yes, she told me something very interesting. She said Johnson's leadership was threatening her not to investigate the case. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? He gave her a disarming smile. That isn't what we meant. We were just coming there to tell her that we had it covered, and we were going to take care of Johnson. What do you mean you're going to take care of Johnson? Vivian asked suspiciously. Ah, oh, see, that's what makes you such a great agent. Always suspicious of everyone, even me. That's also what hurts relationships. Remember, we talked about this. Open communication is the key. No secrets and no accusing each other of things we didn't do, he said pointedly. What we meant is that we're going to make sure he gets a fair trial, and there's no reason for her to worry about it. That isn't how Mac told the story, Vivian said. Well, in this case, my dear, I believe Mac is confused. She thought about that for a little while. Maybe Mac had taken it the wrong way. Sometimes Mac was a little intense. Hell, sometimes Vivian was intense herself. What was she thinking? She had finally met a good man who understood her. Regardless, she had to learn to trust someone, and this man had been good to her. He was helping her through a tough time. Her anxiety often got the best of her. She forced herself to relax. He shifted his weight behind her and said, don't you worry about a thing. I have this handled. Everything's going to be just fine. He knelt and kissed her full on the lips, and soon she forgot all about the Johnson case. 
There was something about him that was off limits and kind of dangerous. She really liked that about him. She was always about following the rules, but this was the one thing she had allowed in her life that broke them. It wasn't like their relationship was the definition of fraternization, but it was close. Under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, fraternization was when two people had an unprofessional relationship between an officer and an enlisted. In her case, someone could view this as an unprofessional relationship because it could directly negatively impact good order and discipline. In this case, she was seeing someone outside of her organization, but it could be viewed as improper because he was involved in the case she was currently investigating while being in higher leadership. That meant he could have direct influence on the case, either positively or negatively. Not to mention that she was still technically married, and adultery, regardless of which party is married, was also against the UCMJ. Viv liked that everyone in the military was held to much higher standards than in the civilian world, though sometimes that made life complicated. In the civilian world, no one really cared who slept with whom. If you were found to be doing something wrong as long as it wasn't criminal, then normally you just got fired, not prosecuted. Chapter 11 He picked her up off the swing and took her into the house. Even the way he made love to her felt off-limits. He was rougher than what she was used to. He carried her into the bedroom and threw her onto the bed, ripping the blanket off her as he went. He roughly removed her old t-shirt and sweats. She wasn't wearing a bra or panties underneath. He stood there looking down at her, not saying a word. His chest heaved up and down and he growled softly like a hungry beast. She could see his erect penis pressing against his pants. She began to move toward him, but the look he gave her made her stop. He slowly removed his clothes while he was still looking at her with those dark eyes. Then in one swift move, he flipped her onto her stomach, pressed her into the mattress, grabbed her hair, and entered her from behind. It happened so quickly that she didn't even have time to react. He was hurting her. She was still dry when he forced himself inside her. She tried to enjoy herself, but it just hurt. His oversized shaft slammed into her, and he pulled her hair back so hard that she thought he was going to tear it out. He was growling like a wild animal. Tears started running down her face. There had been rough sex before, but not this rough. They had even played with a little S&M and bondage recently but it had been mutual. This didn't feel mutual. It was very one-sided. She thought maybe it was her fault for making him angry and asking about his conversation with Mac. He pulled hard on the back of her hair, thrust himself deep inside her with a guttural sound, and was done. She lay on the mattress face down and didn't move. He got up off her and without a word went to take a shower. She stayed still, not knowing what to do. Once she heard the sound of the water change as he stepped into the shower, she peeled herself off the bed and walked to the bathroom. She looked at herself in the mirror and wondered what the hell that had been. Maybe it was nothing, just a little rough sex, and he had just gotten worked up. It wasn't like he had hit her or anything. That would have been a deal breaker, she thought to herself. She was bleeding between her legs a little bit, but that sometimes happened because he was so big. He normally took that into account when they made love. But this wasn't making love. It had felt wrong. It was animalistic, primal, and most certainly done only to please him. She decided that she would just put it out of her mind and not think about it. 
She quickly cleaned herself and put on an oversized t-shirt. She crawled into bed and pretended to sleep. The sound of his feet made her heart race as he entered the room. She felt the bed shift under his weight. He wrapped his arms around her, and it was everything she could do not to stiffen. He whispered in a low voice, Sorry, babe. I hope I didn't hurt you. With that, he rolled to the other side and went to sleep. For a while, she simply listened to him sleeping. No matter how hard she tried, sleep would not come. Every time she drifted off, visions of him grabbing her by the hair and pinning her to the bed crept into her thoughts. In her dreams, he wasn't the man she knew. He was a vicious beast with black eyes. There were no whites, just completely black eyes and that low growl from earlier. She finally slept for a couple of hours. When she woke up, he was gone. There were flowers left on her kitchen table with a card from him apologizing for being so rough. She smiled, thinking about how lucky she was for finally having a man who knew how to say he was sorry when he knew he had done something wrong. Her soon-to-be ex-husband never apologized for anything. In all fairness, he had never had rough sex with her like that. But then again, it was vanilla at best with her ex. Their sex life had lacked all passion and feeling. At least with this new one, things were hot and sexy most of the time, though certainly a little rougher than she liked. As we close today's captivating episode on Book TV, don't forget to check out Novel Nutrition. Tailored for book lovers, our supplements are designed to complement your reading lifestyle. Use code BOOKTV for a 20% discount on your first order at novelnutrition.co. Enhance your reading experience with Novel Nutrition, and don't forget that every purchase helps support an author.